0: Welcome to Sparrow Health Clinical Insights, where we cover the latest topics in the world of mental health and substance use disorder. We hope that this program will help you in your growth and help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships. And now, here is your host, Senior Vice President of Clinical Services, David Hayden. Hello, I'm David Hayden, your host. Welcome to another episode of Spiro Clinical Insights, where we address the biggest questions and topics in the clinical world of mental health and substance use disorder. Today, we're going to be talking about methamphetamine addiction and the next epidemic. And that leads me to our returning guest, Dr. Mark Gold. Mark, welcome and thanks for returning as a podcast guest.
1: Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah.
0: On our first visit uh, to Spiro Clinical Insights, we reviewed many of your uh, awards and accolades, and I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that episode and visit your website, drmarkgold.com, for a complete list and read your publications and lectures that are available there. It's a, it's a, a really good website, uh, lots of great information on there. Um, so today, let's look to the present uh, and what we're focusing on now. So um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now.
1: So, you know, I I finished a a thought piece on the overdose crisis and um, thinking about how it is that we've done so much in opioid use disorders and had uh, so little impact on death rates. Part of the reason for this is that um, behind the opioid crisis has come a psychostimulant crisis. So we have cocaine use escalating methamphetamine use increasing even more than that, and the drug supply chain um, is infected uh, with uh, opioids like fentanyl. So we've just published a thought piece on the overdose crisis um, in the Journal of Addiction Science, and another piece on what's actually in drugs that you're buying on the street. And this work, was originally funded by the State Department. And we traced cocaine from South America, for example, and um, looked at what's in it and what's not. And I'll, I'll send you, uh, David, uh, both of those articles if you haven't seen them, if you want to post them. But I think that's the most recent thing that we've done that have
0: surprised people. Yeah, I, I would love to see those. I think I think I've I've seen uh, the second one that you talked about and I think people would be very surprised to know um, you know, what they're uh finding in the substances that they're taking. So it it's almost like that, you know, we're gonna talk about uh methamphetamines, but it's almost like that that there's really a, a mixture of substances that people are taking. There's uh you know, they may be thinking they're taking methamphetamine but it has fentanyl in it, or they may be thinking they're taken heroin but it has methamphetamine in it they're they're mixing all of that together and uh, you see a lot of people that don't really know what they're they're using they're just using
1: yes so that was really the finding there and thank you for reading it uh, the um, so you have some deaths that could occur from psychostimulant overdose like cocaine and methamphetamine those deaths tend to look like a person who is sweaty and in a adrenergic crisis Uh, we used to see that in the 80s in cocaine body packers and they you know put condoms uh, up their rectum and unfortunately where they would burst and they would all of a sudden have a fever of 106 and sweat and have an epileptic seizure and die however while that uh, uh, psychostimulant death most of the current psychostimulant deaths are because traces, small amounts of fentanyl, have creeped into the methamphetamine and cocaine supply chain. And that shouldn't surprise anyone because neither of those uh, drugs are prescription drugs. So it's a far cry from OxyContin, which was manufactured by a company labeled with the number of milligrams, controlled by the FDA for quality and purity and safe when administered for pain patients um, following the doctor's orders, but clearly could be diverted, could be abused, and were. So right now, we have overdoses occurring directly because of methamphetamine and cocaine effects, and also because of the mixture. Let me just say one thing you just reminded me, and that, that, um, that's complicated what we tell doctors about overdoses. So right now, it doesn't really matter if someone says they overdosed, or the people with them who bring them to emergency department, they overdosed on X, Y, or Z. We give them naloxone anyway. We give naloxone to any uh, suspected overdose, assuming that it, it there's an adulterated drug drug supply chain.
0: Yeah, that's probably a good thing. So. Um, Yeah. You know, which which leads me to a question, you know, most addiction medicine physicians and nurse practitioners, um, they've been trained and focused on treating alcohol use disorders and opiate use disorders and with medications that have been approved to treat them. Um, There is no approved medication for uh, methamphetamine uh, or any psychostimulant use disorder. So how should a medical provider approach these patients? What, What would you recommend?
1: So, you know, this this is a great point. and And, um, well, you know, let's go back and just compare what we have. If you overdose on cocaine or methamphetamine, there is no naloxone. There's no Narcan. There's no antidote. There's no wonder drug that wakes you up and gives you a second chance. There's just absolutely none. And then if you have a cocaine use disorder or a methamphetamine use disorder, there's no MAT, there's no naltrexone, and there's no buprenorphine or suboxone. So actually, the treatment's pretty much like we used to have in the 1970s when I had cocaine overdoses. You'd monitor the person's heart, you'd monitor their respirations and vital functions, you'd try to lower their body temperature, and believe it or not, we used to pack people in ice. You'd try to prevent seizures, and you try to keep them alive with supportive measures. Same for methamphetamine, same for cocaine. After that, we send them to a, a drug rehab. And it's a long-term psychosocial uh, rehab approach. Similar in many uh, circumstances to what you'd see for alcohol use disorder. There's, there's, there's no, you know, uh, medication plus therapy option possible.
0: Yeah. What, at, at that point, when they're in a um, you know, long-term treatment or, or getting that, those psychosocial treatments, uh, what's the role of the medical provider when they're engaged in those services? So The medical provider mostly is to uh,
1: work up the patient for concurrent diseases. That's very important. Uh, work up the patient, especially, let's say it's methamphetamine. So methamphetamine is much more neurotoxic than cocaine, and the neurotoxicity, especially of methamphetamine binges, is such that some researchers, especially Jean-Luc Cadet at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, have suggested that methamphetamine use causes a brain syndrome similar to a concussion, and so there's a a brain resting, almost, uh, that's necessary for recovery, but there's there's more chance for residual toxicity. So the neurological approach is very important. Methamphetamine and cocaine can give you a psychosis where you hear voices, sometimes see things, sometimes think there are bugs under your skin. The uh, medical provider uh, might try to treat that with antipsychotics. For methamphetamine-induced psychosis, the treatment is quite difficult and oftentimes the patient doesn't respond as if they would if they had a naturally occurring psychosis. Um, There's a lot of keep the patient safe. So if they're having delusions and hallucinations, they think that on a windy day, the trees are bowing to them. Um, It's important that we help them not make grand life decisions in this period of, of grandiosity. The medical provider is busy with psychiatric, neurologic, uh, and return of function evaluation and assessments.
0: Yeah. What about just the the impact of uh, overall health on the patient? What are some things that um, medical providers can do to maybe counteract that? Is there you know diet things, sleep things? What you know? What other impact does that have that yeah. could be addressed?
1: Yeah. So you know, there's there's been a lot made Metham- so you have to pay attention to the root of administration if you're a doctor. So for cocaine, we didn't have much problem when cocaine was taken as tea or chewed as coca leaf in the Andes. No one really um, reported problems like we see for extracted cocaine hydrochloride that's sniffed. So that oftentimes re- requires an evaluation, uh, ENT evaluation, because cocaine is a vasoconstrictor and also an anesthetic uh, at the contact, there are nasal septum perforations. The cocaine that's smoked, either as a free base or crack, is crack lung. And cocaine related effects on the lung can be really quite profound. Cocaine has great effects on the heart. Cocaine causes heart attacks and strokes as does methamphetamine, and its psychostimulants are some of the greatest causes of early life CVAs and strokes that we know of. Cocaine is often taken with alcohol. That produces uh, cocaethylene, a longer-acting cocaine that has neurotoxic but also hepatotoxic problems worth following. And I can go right down the list. Once a person is stabilized, off of drugs and then rehab then we have healthy eating healthy diet removing them from people places and things because cocaine and methamphetamine are just so powerful they're conditioned onto the environment in a way that triggers are everywhere and very very difficult yeah. so this is a anyway it's a monumental task yeah I,
0: i've read some things where um you know people find uh, giving someone uh, with a stimulant use disorder and and combine that with alcohol, um, things like uh, thiamine and magnesium and, um, you know, vitamin B. Have you seen any of that and any um, comments on that?
1: Yes, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying any of that wouldn't be helpful. Of course, people who have uh, a cocaine use disorder, methamphetamine use disorder, have bad teeth, Um, don't eat right, and have poor nutrition. All of those are factually correct, and replacement um, can be part of the treatment program if the person has to leave residential treatment early. But um, nutritional counseling, dietetic assessment, we used to do that as part of the evaluation procedure um, at the University of Florida, and I do recommend that too.
0: And does some of that just get better with time, some of those physical effects that the stimulants have, the damage that it's caused, does that typically get better?
1: So time is the, only, is the one thing that we have, and we do know there are lots of people, celebrities, who've talked about a stimulant use disorder, Elton John comes to mind, um, who are long-term sober and saying that they're as sharp and together as they were in the past. So I do think time is an essential part of the treatment. Yeah,
0: And then, so then, tell me a little bit about what you think the role of the the psychosocial interventions can play during that time of, of recovery, that time where their, their body is recovering from the damage.
1: You know, I mean, I, I think we used to uh, do both motivational enhancement, CBT, as well as Incentive-related uh, psychological interventions for physicians. There's incentive if you you tell them they have to call an 800 number and they're they're randomized to a urine test or no urine test each day. That's a CBT intervention. If you tell them they can keep their license if they follow the treatment program, that's a motivate that that's highly motivating incentive. Uh, is a a psychosocial intervention that's been shown to have some power in psychostimulant use disorder. Working with families, key, because they won't understand just how dangerous people, places, and things can be and in helping the person set reasonable expectations and realizing that just because they look okay, they're not okay. And there's just a host of them, but yes, psychosocial interventions are even more important in psychostimulant use disorders because we don't have medications uh, to help at all. yeah
0: well, that brings up my next question of where do you see treatment for stimulus use disorders going in the future do you Are there any medications that are going to come down the, the pike that can help with this
1: so this is a very this is uh, one that um, has been really difficult, as I mentioned in the Uh, thinking through new treatments, people have thought about vaccines. Cocaine is not well suited for a vaccine just because it has an intimate relationship with the body's own dopamine reuptake transporter. Methamphetamine has a less intimate, less specific relationship and might be possible Uh, vaccines. In the post uh, use phase, cocaine and methamphetamine are associated with depression that looks like major depression versus kind of washed out, and we there is a role then for rehydration, diet, exercise, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. I'd bet that's not been proven, but could be shown uh, within the next year to and pass FDA. And I, I, I bet that uh, there'll be specialized treatment programs if the methamphetamine use keeps increasing just for methamphetamine because of that
0: yeah yeah you're you're probably right there i think there will be some specialized things for that it's becoming uh so prominent so well this has been really helpful and as we wrap up uh what is your one piece of advice for our listeners out there around treating uh methamphetamine abuse and dependence the
1: earlier the the um the person comes into treatment the better um there the, there's uh has to be a, a no use philosophy and there should be brain testing and evaluation. Patients don't like it when they find out that methamphetamine is like being hit over the head with a hammer or having a concussion. And hopefully in their case, it won't be. But when you do find that, it requires treatment as if they've had a neurological insult. And the patient, family, uh, physician and the treatment team all need to work together to treat this more like TBI than uh, cannabis use disorder.
0: Well, thank you again for joining me on Spiro Clinical Insights. I hope you had fun, and I'm sure we'll have you back on a future episode. Um, but again, you can uh, follow uh, Dr. Gold on drmarkgold.com on his website. Uh, and again, this is David Hayden, your host and Senior Vice President of Clinical Services. Thank you for listening, and remember to be kind, consistent, and predictable for all the patients that we serve every single day. Thank you and take care. Thanks for joining us for Sparrow Health Clinical Insights. Join us next time as we continue to talk about topics that help guide us toward achieving our mission of saving lives, instilling hope, and restoring relationships.